Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 193 of the Naturally Nourished podcast, Polyphenols and the Power of Produce. In today's episode, we're going to share about unique plant antioxidants and how they can impact your whole body health. Absolutely. Polyphenols have demonstrated anti-cancer, antioxidant, antimicrobial, and anti-inflammatory properties in human health. And we figured that this would be a great way to set the stage prior to our next episode, which will be with guest Paul Saladino, where he will share about his carnivore code. We have a great episode kind of along the lines of anti-nutrients and antioxidants and the great vegetable debate, episode 127, In Defense of Vegetables. And in that episode, we unpacked Dr. Gundry's plant paradox and the anti-nutrient argument, weighing out the benefits of plants, where and when carnivore or a plant-free diet would be appropriate. So if you're looking for information on the anti-nutrient perspective, Episode 127 would be a great place to start. But in today's episode, we're going to be highlighting the benefits of plants and reasons why we find them essential in an optimal diet for whole body health. So before we get into that, I actually can't think of a more perfect sponsor for today's episode than Wild Foods. Absolutely. Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have many polyphenol-rich products, including their coffee, their tea blends, their turmeric powder, their medicinal mushrooms, and every single product is painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe. They have a strong mission to fix the broken food system and believe, just like us, that real food is medicine. They've partnered with us to give you an exclusive discount. You can use the code AllieMillerRD when you go on over to wildfoods.co, that's just .co, and you will get 12% off of your order. So polyphenols, as we'll unpack in today's episode, like I said, have a myriad of benefits. And you can get a big boost from their raw cacao powder or their raw cocoa butter wafers, which are a dairy-free fat to add to your fat-fueled coffees or into your teas. You can also even use them for DIY skincare and creams. I'm a huge fan of the wild matcha. It is a ceremonial grade, really vibrant in color, fantastic in flavor profile, and very concentrated in that EGCG antioxidant that supports belly fat burn. And then all of their tea blends in general are fantastic. I'm a big fan as I continue to talk about the Thai G, which is a green rooibos tea. This has lemongrass, lime, and ginger. Really bright, a fantastic, I would say, ice infusion for the summer and a great way to boost up your polyphenols in a caffeine-free delivery. But they also have black teas and green teas. So go on over to wildfoods.co, put in the code RD at checkout, and you will get 12% off your first order. Have fun shopping. All right, let's do it. So let's first, Allie, identify for listeners, what exactly is an antioxidant and what is a polyphenol? Sure. So 
antioxidants in the like medical mechanism of action, or if we're thinking of organic chemistry class, they basically reduce the influence of free radicals in your body. So on a mechanism level, they donate an electron to free radicals and that donation of an electron neutralizes them and stops the free radical from causing oxidative stress or harm. Antioxidants basically break the free radical chain by giving up that, electro, that electron and then that stops the process. So these are compounds that are going to be able to stop or delay the damage to cells. They're able to inhibit the oxidative stress to the system. They're naturally found in many foods and polyphenols specifically are going to be plant-based metabolites. Now, polyphenols are generally involved also in the defense of a plant. Uh, we've seen in studies that they can defend against ultraviolet radiation or UV rays. Uh, they play a big role against pathogens. And so this could be a virus within the plant kingdom or bacteria. And we know that polyphenols contribute on a flavor profile to more of the astringent, bitter profile, as well as color, flavor, and odor. And all of these compounds collectively create this oxidative stability and health supporting compounds. So we've seen in research studies that high polyphenol diets do offer protection against development of cancer, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and even conditions like osteoporosis and neurodegenerative diseases. Okay, you're totally taking me back to like Chem 101 with the yeah. <laughs> donate an electron, slow down the train, <laughs> um, and let's just go through kind of some of the different um, categories, if you will, of of polyphenols and what would be included within those. Sure. So there are the anthocyanidins, the catechins, the flavonoids, the tannins, and the procyanidins. <laughs> cyanidins. <laughs> um, so basically we're talking brightly colored fruits and vegetables. And some popular ones within this world are like resveratrol, which we would see in wine, but also in that dark pigment in berries and grapes, uh, green and white tea, as I alluded to with our wild food sponsorship, fantastic source of polyphenols, cacao, uh, which is, you know, the chocolate. We're going to get a high antioxidant, even higher than anything by weight in the cacao. And that's all that polyphenol contribution. And then herbs and spices are going to be another area. Now, there's other plant-based antioxidants that don't qualify technically as a polyphenol. And these are things like carotenoids or quercetin or lutein, lycopene. However, you will learn in today's episode that these other plant antioxidants do help our body's ability to use the polyphenols. Okay. So you mentioned some of my favorite foods. I'm always happy when a list includes chocolate yes. and wine um, and herbs and spices <laughs> and, and seasonings. <laughs> Stuff tastes good. Absolutely. Um, so I think that helps to set the tone on just what types of foods we're referring to. Um, and maybe before we go deeper into exactly how these polyphenols work, let's just cover a little bit more on reducing oxidative stress and cell do death and how that impacts our overall health. Um, and let's maybe discuss some of the more relatable benefits of antioxidants. Sure. 
So when we're looking at impact of oxidative stress, like we talk about, we were talking about before recording, there's that joke of like a skin commercial being like, you know, reduce oxidative stress. There is an actual impact of aging process with oxidation. So the classic example of an antioxidant that I like to give is thinking of like rusting on metal, or we can also think of when you slice an apple or an avocado, the browning that occurs on the surface of that produce is oxidative reactions. But if you add lemon juice to your apple or lime juice to your avocado in the sense of guacamole or, or just as a way to preserve it, maybe that's something you were taught by your mom, what you're doing is literally adding ascorbic acid, vitamin C, an antioxidant to that produce to reduce that oxidation reaction. And so that's a good visual of how antioxidants work also in the body. And we do see that as we reduce the oxidative stress, as we reduce the activity of free radicals, we slower the signs of aging. So this can mean less lines in the skin, um, better turgidity. Uh, We can see improvements in eye health or reduction in the decline of eye health and vision. We can see impact on our joints, on our cardiovascular system, and on our brain because most disease processes drive with oxidation. Oxidative processes are going to break things down and make them worse, work less effective, and, and basically the easiest way to explain. So we can see healthier skin, reduce cancer risk. We can see uh, liver kidney support or enhanced detoxification processes, a longer lifespan, and an improved of quality of life with that because mental health is impacted by oxidative stress. We can see protection against heart disease and stroke less risk for cognitive decline, including mechanisms of dementia and the formation of plaque formation in the brain reduced when we bring in higher antioxidant capacity. And then as I mentioned, macular degeneration, cataracts, most vision loss is going to be influenced by oxidative reactions in the body. Okay, so some super cool benefits and a lot of reasons to try to pack antioxidants into the diet for sure. Um, And if we're looking for um, kind of what lifestyle factors might impact our, our oxidative stress, let's just talk a little bit about who is at higher risk for free radical exposure or kind of what activities might um, make us higher risk. Sure. So. We think of toxins as a huge factor. These can be things that are inhalants or exposed to our dermatological tissue through our environment. So environmental toxins, uh, smoking cigarettes is a huge driver of oxidative stress. A poor diet uh, that has oxidized, oxidated, I was going to (laughs) say, oxidized rancid inflammatory fats like you know your polyunsaturated omega-6s from your your industrialized seed oils like your cottonseed oil and soybean oil and canola oil these are going to be high drivers of oxidation in the body Uh, we know that radiation as an exposure can be an oxidative stress exercise overtraining and marathon running you know especially if it's a respiratory type like marathon you know you're you're taking in both the outside environmental toxins through the inhalation uh, respiration process but then also you're depleting those antioxidants through that mitochondrial demand Uh, medications can interfere with antioxidant status or drive oxidative process stress in the body and then we can see different 
areas of digestive health. So if the body is in a state of digestive dysbiosis, that can put out more byproducts of oxidative drive in the system. And it's also important to note that even emotional stress and trauma, so negative thought processes and depression, anxiety, these can drive more oxidative stress in the brain and throughout the whole body. And we see elevated C-reactive protein and inflammatory conditions being parallel with individuals that have high levels of oxidative stress because it does, it just impacts every organ and system of the body. Okay. So interesting that the stress response alone can deplete those antioxidants and then even good stressors like the exercise that you mentioned that we pack on might contribute to that as well. Um, Let's hit on the impact of polyphenols on our gut health for a moment. Yeah. So I I don't think we really have covered this in past episodes, and this is unique information that I was really excited to share. So there's significant benefits of polyphenols, again, on systemic health. And largely, most of this is actually dependent upon the gut microbia um, and how our body's able to metabolize or activate these polyphenols. So the gut bacteria itself actually directly positively influence polyphenols in a mutual feedback relationship. Polyphenols have to be metabolized within the GI tract to be bioavailable and have these health promoting effects. And then it also requires these hydrolysis and conjugation reactions of the polyphenols, similar mechanisms in the detox process actually, that takes place in the small intestines. And these metabolites are not absorbed in the small intestine, but instead get carried to the colon. And in the colon, the gut bacteria, just as it works on our prebiotic fibers, is going to break down and absorb and essentially activate polyphenols into these metabolites that can have the healing beneficial properties. So there's particular bacteria strains, uh, bifidobacterium as one, that are involved in the metabolism of polyphenols and creating this activation process. Okay, so to connect the dots a little further, you know, someone who has a sterilized gut or dysbiotic gut where there's overgrowth of bad bacteria or yeast, um, they might not actually benefit from these plant-based antioxidants or polyphenols, and they might even see some more undesired symptoms. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, we've talked about in past episodes that if you have, you know, low digestive enzyme status or bacterial overgrowth, that these could be, you know, the, the root cause of why you don't tolerate potentially vegetable fibers or the intake of produce in general. But what's interesting to note with polyphenols is that the fiber and anti-nutrients that would cause the, the drama in the body, the polyphenols actually interact with the gut bacteria and have multiple actions in which they can modulate the type of bacteria that's living. So polyphenols have these aromatic metabolites, and these can actually impact the composition of your gut bacteria via these prebiotic effects in the colon. So they actually, especially things like tannins in the polyphenol family, they actually can exhibit these antimicrobial activities that can combat pathogenic bacteria. So they can work as these large compounds that bacteria eat at, and then based on the composition of the polyphenol, it can aid in the growth of favorable and play a role with killing off the overgrowth of something that's imbalanced. So we've seen, for instance, catechin, which is a compound that we see in tea as well as wine and berries, 
this is able to inhibit the growth of clostridium. Um, and we see that it promotes the role of the beneficial strains of E. coli, which then defend against the harmful strains of E. coli. Yeah, and I know when we do stool testing in clinic, we'll often see that plant tannins come up as one of the powerful players of a cleanse for SIBO or dysbiosis or yeast overgrowth, depending on the strain. Yeah, and I mean, even things like nut skins, the skins of nuts. Um, so we talk about like walnut hull having antiparasitic effect. But beyond this defense mechanism, it's important to again call out that the polyphenols actually aid to increase lactobacillus species, which can then play that competitive inhibition role. And we know wild blueberries have been shown in research to significantly increase the bifidobacterium. So these lactose and bifido strains are the two most well-researched players in your gut microbiome that we know play a favorable impact on mood. These are the players that are going to aid in the serotonin and GABA production to reduce anxiety, chronic stress response, which then can support the immune system. We know that lactobacillus and bifidobacterium species have been played a role specifically with inflammation as well. We see C-reactive protein levels going up in the body when we don't have presence of these two very important strains. So the polyphenols have this double-edged sword of, of effect, if you will, where they're able to kill off overgrowth and create opportunity as a fuel source to optimize the positive flora. Okay, so coverage on both ends of the spectrums in terms of removal of excess as well as support for abundance and growth of our good guys. Uh, so once the gut has kind of done its work to metabolize these polyphenols, there's some other essential needs on a, a biochemical level um, in the body requiring various nutrients. So let's cover this kind of what happens next. Sure. So I mentioned there's some phase one detox activity that occurs in the small intestine, and that's that hydrolysis or basically using water to activate the polyphenols. But yes, once the colon has done its fermentation process and these micro-modified polyphenols are absorbed in that tissue and get into the bloodstream, they then have to undergo methylation, sulfation, and gluconeridation, which are these phase two processes of detoxification. These are what we typically associate with the sulfur-containing compounds in the diet. And in detox, they aid in the encapsulation and excretion. So when we're talking about nutritional detoxification and the biochemical processes, phase one is the activation, and then phase two is the encapsulation and excretion. So we've talked in many episodes when we're highlighting detox about the importance of having that heavier hand on the phase two support so that you're ensuring that you're removing everything that's been activated because we've seen in individuals that lack those enzymes or have genetics that limit those phase two detox properties that they're more prone towards oxidative stress related diseases and you know cancer and tumorigenic activity in the body are are two that really shout out at me so we need to ensure not only that the polyphenol engages with the gut microbiome, but once it's into then the bloodstream, we need to ensure that we have good nutritional status on the foods that drive these methylation, sulfonylation, and gluconeridation processes. So these are things like vitamin B12 and vitamin B6, uh, betaine, and ensuring that we have ample hydrochloric acid or stomach acid, 
folate, magnesium, these all play a huge role, as well as our cruciferous vegetables. So I mentioned sulfur. So we're thinking of our, our uh, Brussels sprouts, our cauliflower, our cabbage, as well as greens like dandelion. And uh, we see spinach to be a really good player here as well. Turmeric, so our root vegetables and uh, spices are really powerful players in this sulfur donor activity. And even things like astraxanthin, which is the pink pigment antioxidant in our salmon um, or in salmon roe, uh, if you were doing a plantless approach, that would give you some. But again, you can't activate the polyphenol if you didn't eat the plant. <laughs> so the astraxanthin can help to activate, but it's not going to do that first step of the engagement as a prebiotic in the colon. And um, that's where I would kind of dissociate and say, it looks like for this big reason and all of the myriads of benefits, because we live in a dirty environment, because we're exposed to toxins and stressors, that having polyphenols in the diet would be a good support for both microbiome balance, but also a reduction of oxidative stress and support in the, the detox process. So we'd want to just put that salmon over a bed of leafy greens potentially, or some, put it alongside of some of those cruciferous veggies per se. Yes. And you could add some pickled onion because yep. we know aliums also very powerful quercetin, uh, which I mentioned earlier, right? So quercetin is not a polyphenol, but quercetin as an antioxidant in the onion family often, or we also see it in apples, uh, quercetin can aid again in this phase two activation of the body being able to use the polyphenol. And so I mentioned genetics are something that can impact this. So if someone is an MTHFR, for instance, um, methyl tetrahydrofolase reductase enzyme, right? This individual is going to have a difficulty with production of folate or regulation of folate in their body, which that's going to hinder their ability of using these polyphenols. Or an individual that has a GST1 enzyme activity, they're not going to have as much glutathione production, which helps that sulfur encapsulation removal. And on the diet front, we've seen, you know, all these beautiful, as I mentioned, colorful, detox supporting, cruciferous roots, greens, berries, all these things. We've seen in research that a high sugar diet can actually inhibit methylation enzymes um, and impact unfavorably the COMT, which drives more of the anxiety stress response. It drives up that epinephrine or adrenaline. And the chicken and egg with that is that that activity will sterilize your gut microbiome which can then further, you know, play a role to not be able to use the polyphenols to benefit your body. Totally. So all connected for sure. Um, so these polyphenols can aid in gut microbiome reset and inhibit that bacterial overgrowth or imbalance. But in order to have great antioxidant properties, they also will need to be conjugated through detox enzyme pathways in the body, especially that phase two portion of the detox process. And this is a really big piece of our 10 day detox program, both the combination of polyphenols and then the sulfur containing amino acids to support that phase two encapsulation and excretion of toxins from the body, uh, which is going to further activate that antioxidant activity. Yes. And I think that this is a really good time of the year, especially with all the transitions of ending the shelter at, at home and starting to get you know out there more, hopefully visiting our farmer's markets, uh, to really push the reset button on our diet and lifestyle. And so I, I 
wanted to make the space in today's episode to give a little strong pitch on our 10-day detox and share with you guys a promotion that we have going on. So starting today, when this episode airs through July 15th, we will be doing 20% off of our detox packs, which are the Reset, Restore, Renew detox packs. I'll be sure to put a link direct in the show notes, of course, but you can just search Allie Miller RD 10 day detox packs, and it'll definitely come up. Um, These detox packs are formulated to ensure that they have a synergy of both phase one, which is liver, gallbladder, kidney support, as well as the phase two to support for those sulfur-containing players that play a role in, again, safely encapsulating and excreting the toxins that are liberated. And in our detox packs, we also include an antioxidant blend because we know that when you're in a stage of detoxification, calorie restriction is often going to be recommended so that you're in a breakdown catabolism to liberate, right? And when you're doing that and you're upregulating the activation process, you actually can create more damage from the free radical activity of the detox process. So we do throw in an antioxidant blend, which has things in it like green tea extract and turmeric and grapeseed extract. This plays a big role in supporting and reducing that oxidative stress, as well as antioxidant-based minerals like selenium and manganese and zinc. Uh, Then we have one capsule also of a phase one detox supportive pill, which is going to have compounds that drive bile flow from the liver. So it actually has ox bile in there. We have uh, artichoke in there, which is a great source of polyphenols as well. Beet powder, milk thistle, which we see that cimillarin playing a very favorable role on the hepatocytes or liver cells. And then methionine, which aids in this process as well as B12 and B6 and vitamin A. And then each pack has one antioxidant pill, one phase one pill, but three phase two pills. So in the phase two pills of the formula is where you're getting all of those sulfur-containing amino acids, the glutathione, the methionine, the uh, taurine, the glycine, the glutamate, the MSM, the N-acetylcysteine. And so we're ensuring that we're giving you this kind of heavy-handed support for phase two so that you are aiding in that encapsulation and excretion and getting favorable outcomes. And yeah, those detox packs are a great way, you know, if you're not ready to dive in with a a 10 day or don't have the space in in your timeline right now, it'd be a great way to just support uh, detox on an ongoing basis through the summer. And there's 60 packs per box. So you could also do a detox and then do another one, you know, come fall or something like that. And so you could use these once a day at bed if you're dealing with hormone dominance or if you're dealing with elevated liver enzymes or if you're in an active phase of weight loss because when you're actively losing body fat, you are liberating estrogen from your adipocytes or the estrogen-related hormone from your fat cells as well as endocrine-disrupting compounds, which we can see in our environment from plastics, perfumes, pesticides. So you're kind of proactively ensuring that through your weight loss, you're cleaning up the gunk that's released from your body in the process. And then I do recommend uh, using them at times where you would be exposing yourself to toxins. So again, thinking of this oxidative stress connection, like if you're painting in your Mm -hmm. house, even if it's low VOC, there's definitely going to be oxidative stress there. If you're getting your nails done, if you're getting your hair colored, uh, traveling on an airplane or a train, you know, if you live in the city, these would be times that you'd want to incorporate these, you know, more daily based on your, your threshold or your exposure, if you will. 
Totally. I miss my detox packs right now. <laughs> Can't do them while pregnant, but we painted the nursery and I was like passing them to Byron like every, you know, every day that we've been in the painting process at least twice. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we do note that the detox packs can be used with breastfeeding, yeah. but we don't recommend doing a tight 10 day detox. So again, if you're breastfeeding your baby, we don't want to upregulate this liberation of toxins to be released because that will pass through your breast milk and can overwhelm baby. But if you're doing activities like drinking alcohol, getting your nails done, getting your hair done, painting, any of these things, you would want to still support your body in safely removing the toxins so you aren't handing those off to babe through the breast milk as well. So we wouldn't do the calorie restricted 10 day detox to really like re change the oil in the tank, if you will, but we would pulse them in when appropriate if lifestyle stressors or toxic exposure was appropriate. So they can be used with breastfeeding, just not as high of a dosage as uh, individuals that are not, but we don't recommend them with pregnancy. Good point, Becky. Okay. Um, and all those notes are, are on the actual um, detox pack page as well in the FAQ section. But every time I do the detox, it's been a while, it feels like now, but I think we did one in the, in the fall together. Um, every time I do it, I feel like I fall in love with like another veggie or I'm reminded of a healthy habit or maybe a recipe that I haven't made in a while. Yeah, I always challenge my clients to layer something in that they're going to maintain or remove something. So the 10-day detox provides you a 10-day meal plan. It has a ketogenic option as well as a paleo option if you wanted to play with a little bit higher carb during that time. And it provides you a meal plan, recipes, but it gives you information on strategically what you're looking to do to reset your metabolism restore your digestive health and renew your cellular health. And so it actually is going to give you with each two day increment, different areas of food as medicine as your focus in each of those categories. So you may be focusing on chia seed, let's say, to work as a soluble fiber to play a role with resetting your digestive health and kind of gathering stool to create more bowel mass activity and alleviation. You might be focusing on bitter greens to aid in that resetting digestion to drive that bile flow or adding lemon to olive oil in your salad dressings and removing the vinegar, which could feed yeast. So you're definitely going to learn things that will be concept food as medicine based that you can take beyond the detox, but will also create these aha connections of like, oh, that's why I do this with that. And that's why this feels good when I do this. And you might remove something like maybe you're sourcing, maybe you're going to shift this time and really emphasize pasture raised grass fed protein selection, or maybe you're going to shift your containers that you use to take your lunch to work from the plastic Ziplocs, which leach, you know, these estrogen compounds into your body into stainless steel containers or Pyrex glass. So it really does provide a lot of resource. Um, in the virtual class option, I speak with farmers at the farmer's market. I talk to you about food labels and so much and really kind of living clean in a dirty environment, if you will. And then there is an ebook that supports the detox class as well. And with the promotion, we are doing the 10-day detox ebook, which has everything you need to successfully implement the cleanse in addition to the detox packs as a supplement side. And we're doing the ebook for only $1.99. So you will uh, glance at the show notes for that and you can get the 20% off of your detox packs through July 15th, as well as the detox ebook for only $1.99. Yeah. We'll make the code detox now for the, you that are listening and want to go over and just 
do it. Right yeah. Now. For both of them? Yep. That yep. will work. For both of them. Perfect. Detox now. Let's do it. Uh, all right. So let's get back into um, maybe what helps to increase polyphenol production beyond just, you know, consuming some of the things that we mentioned. Um, how can we uh, increase production? So it's really about how the plant grows. So, you know, polyphenols in nature are there, their, their defined role is to defend plants against aggressions. So this could be UV light, and that's why it also helps to reduce UV activity in your body. So great, again, focus for the summer to up your polyphenols to protect your skin. Uh, we see also that, so plants that get more sun would have higher amounts of polyphenols, for instance. Uh, those that are fighting off insects or fungus or diseases, we see those that have the deeper color spectrum. This all plays a big role in polyphenol density. And we see in many research studies, I'm going to link some of these in the resources, that organic fruits and vegetables are going to have higher amounts of these polyphenols because they have to create more of this natural shield of protection. They're not getting that synthetic um, you know, pesticide applied to them. And so we actually see like in papaya peel, 72.6% increased polyphenol and in orange peels around uh, around 12%. So, you know, this does provide by both, it's this double-edged sword again of when you're choosing organic produce, you're getting more polyphenols and you're also getting less oxidative stressors or toxins that would throw off your own body's utilization of the polyphenols. Okay. So kind of the harder the plant has to work per se, it might actually be benefiting you in the long run in terms of polyphenol content. Really, most really definitely. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the 10-day detox is the most powerful, certainly targeted approach for getting your polyphenol intake optimized. Um, and within that program, we do have some abundance goals for you to follow, but let's just give listeners some goals to get their values up on kind of a day-to-day. Sure. So I would select when possible organic or at least sustainably grown. It doesn't have to be USDA certified. In fact, small farms, which grow on smaller plots and do better crop rotation, and even those that work with their animals and compost are likely going to have even more polyphenol density. So uh, ensuring that you're getting sustainably grown vegetables, herbs, seasonings, and low glycemic fruits is really the name of the game. And I would ensure that at least two of your meals or two eating times a day incorporates the And some general rules could be going for two to three cups of leafy greens daily. Uh, Spinach is actually a very high source in the dark leafy green family. Uh, Zesting your citrus peel, making sure that you're using your citrus peel, which is a fantastic delivery of these polyphenols. Incorporating tea into your diet maybe four to five times a week or using that matcha. I have so many fun recipes like the avocado breakfast pudding um, and the uh, matcha. That one doesn't have matcha in it, but it's green. I tricked myself. The The matcha matcha. lime blackberry pudding (laughs) does, of course. Um, But you still get polyphenols actually in in the avocado breakfast pudding too. So that could work, I suppose. But tea about four to five times a week would be great, as would berries. Half cup of berries four to five times a week. And you can buy them frozen organic to save that works really beautifully and then wine you know this is where the the world of healthy recommendations for wine um, would work and uh, I really do recommend in this setting again thinking of farming practices this is where something like a dry farmed wine uh, you know there is dry farm wines as the company and these are wines that don't have added uh, 
within their agricultural processes, they're not doing irrigation. So they're not plumping the fruit for weight. They're actually allowing more of that polyphenol structure to develop on the vine. They're also not adding that synthetic fertilizer or pesticide spray. And so that's going to allow more of the polyphenols and then their whole practices um, of making the wine. They ensure that these wines are clean. They're not adding the hundreds of additives that are allowed like mega purple and other chemical additives that can disrupt or drive oxidative stress in your body. So if you are to consume wine, um, this may be something that you'd consider. And I will put a link in the notes for listeners. Uh, you can go to dryfarmwines.com slash AllieMillerRD. And if you'd like to explore their line of wines, you get to add a bottle to your first order for only a penny. If you go to dryfarmwines.com slash AllieMillerRD. I'm liking all of these recommendations for wine and <laughs> chocolate, chocolate and, and matcha tea. tea. Yes. All good. <laughs> all approved. Um, let's just do, just to wrap things up today, a couple of rapid fire, um, cause I know these questions are going to come up and we did cover some of this back in that episode 127 and I'm sure we'll get into it too with, um, Paul next week. But I can't wait. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what about individuals who find they have increased sensitivity to vegetables? So when they drive GI bloating and distension, for example, Sure. So if an individual is dealing with dysbiosis and they have overgrowth of yeast or bacteria, because these are, you know, longer chain carbohydrates that are high in fiber, they can drive fermentation, which would create unfavorable gas, bloating, and distension, if you will. And especially those that are those detox supporting sulfurous, like the cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, these can be more problematic because they tend to be more gaseous. So a couple considerations in this world, one would be to take the digest aid, which is our digestive enzyme prior to meals with vegetables and and um, those irritants in your diet. Uh, this is going to give you the hydrochloric acid, the betaine to aid in the digestive breakdown, as well as amylase, lipase, proteases, so the types of enzymes that break down carbs, proteins, and fats, as well as bile, which is gonna drive that um, emulsification or the, the breakdown and the um, gathering of your foods into bowel mass. So that's one way to break down the food particles so they're less irritated and help your digestive system in that process. You also could layer in something like the GI lining support, which would coat and protect the you know epithelial uh, tender tissue that lines the gut in case there was ulceration or tissue damage. That could be a reason why you're not tolerating the vegetables because there are lectins and anti-nutrients which could disrupt the gut. Um, and that would be another consideration, that GI lining support. Awesome. And then... What about trying something like keto carnivore short term? When would that be appropriate? And, and let's talk a little bit about individuals experiencing dysbiosis and kind of what we would do differently there. Yeah. So if it's severe leaky gut, like inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, I think that this would be a good time to do a keto carnivore because you're removing these abrasive fibers and these anti-nutrients, which could cause more irritation and doing like a six to eight week carnivore approach while you're layering in that GI lining support and using the digestate enzyme as you're trying to reintroduce the veg would make great sense. But you know, as far as the, the research I'm seeing on the microbiome and polyphenols, I really feel that even with severe dysbiosis or SIBO or yeast overgrowth, you may do half of your cleanse without the vegetable fibers and maybe plant 
um, eliminate in the beginning, but I do feel that incorporating those as you're doing maybe the six week beat the bloat cleanse, which has things like berberine, oregano oil. So you're mm. using plant botanicals to do the cleanse process, which is essential to kill off the overgrowth first off. And that's how many of them work. But then I do think incorporating them in the diet on the second half of the cleanse would be really important. So you're getting that symbiotic balance of the polyphenol supporting the growth of the good while still defending against the bad. Sure. And, and for those individuals to, you know, looking at, um, if they have suspected intolerance to certain vegetables or, or plant foods, they could go ahead and run something like an MRT, um, or individually kind of reintroduce those foods, kind of one group like at a time. Like an elimination yeah. diet. Yeah. 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 And that would be more of the immunological impact. I mean, I always say someone's superfood can be someone else's kryptonite. So I do believe across the board to kind of summarize that polyphenols yield beneficial outcomes to the human body. Now there's varied elements of tolerance and things that you may need to consider. Is your body, you know, low in the nutrients required for detox? Is that why you're not doing well with polyphenols? Are you lacking the enzymes needed to break them down or the probacteria to aid in the activation? These are all things to consider. And then of course there is that unique element of someone's superfood being someone else's kryptonite. And that means that your immune system is going to have a different inflammatory response to all different foods and chemicals. And so immune mediated inflammatory response could be to some polyphenol foods, but I would say for the record, I don't think it would be for polyphenols as an entire category. For instance, someone might have an inflammatory response to tea, but not turmeric or berries, maybe strawberries, but not the blueberries and so forth. So it could be individualized to optimize, but I do believe polyphenols have a place and that there's definitely a power in produce. Yes, totally. And, and doing cooked versus wrong, kind of doing a little self-experimentation there doesn't hurt either if you're not tolerating. Um, but I think we've given listeners a lot to think about in today's episode. So if y'all enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review along with a couple sentences of why you like the episode and definitely check out that detox promo with the code detox now for 20% off our 10 day detox packs and the ebook for just $1.99. And that's at AllieMillerRD.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.